One more thing before I get going. I'm just thinking, uh, it's great to be back, but uh, a couple things is just uh, all the babies and young people. It's it's so good. It's like a big tomb out in the world. I guess I don't have to tell you that, but it's kind of shocking to me uh, how few babies th- that a person sees in day-to-day life. I mean, what a blessing it is here, and it just reminds me of that. So I just... I, I, I can't appreciate that enough. Uh, the other thing is that uh, people deport themselves as human beings and show up like human beings uh, to Mass. I mean, uh, that was the other part that was a little shocking. An old-timer back home, uh, Westerners have a little bit different way of saying things, but as he said, you know, who needs to go to burlesque? All you have to do is go to Sunday Mass. So thanks be to God, it's uh, the way it is here. All right, well, last week we took a brief look at St. Peter's role in the foundation of the church. Uh, this morning we're going to take some time looking at the role of the apostles in general. We'll start by looking at the meaning of the word apostle, which comes from the Greek. In Greek, the word apostle means a man who's been commissioned, a man who's been sent on a mission. And the dictionary tells us to commission someone means, quote, to give authority to, give a person the right or power to do something, close quote. In other words, an apostle is a man who's been given authority, who's been given the right and the power to do something by the proper authority. We all understand this concept anyway. It's, we have it right here and now. Uh, suppose we see an army officer like a colonel. He's a commissioned officer. When he's commissioned, he was given authority. He was given the right and power to exercise his duties, okay? Certainly no one has the right to call himself colonel. I mean, unless they're selling fried chicken or something. Uh, they can't walk around, issue orders, uh, walk around a U.S. military uniform like they have that rank if he really doesn't. He can't appoint himself. He can't commission himself. He can't set himself up as a colonel uh, in the U.S. Army. He had to be given that commission to receive that power from the proper authority. In, the, in this case, I guess the president, right? Uh, this is something to remind ourselves of because in the case of apostles, they were commissioned by the authority. So we'll spend a few minutes answering the obvious questions. Who commissioned the apostles? What sort of mission were they given? What sort of authority were they given? And just what are the rights and powers? So first, who commissioned the apostles? We all know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God the Son. The second person, the most blessed Trinity, commissioned the apostles and sent them out on the mission. We can read about the commissioning of the apostles if we open our Bibles to the very end of St. Matthew's Gospel. At the very end of St. Matthew's Gospel is a section. It's called the Great Commission. It's the very last lines in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. Here we go. Matthew 28, 16 and following. Quote, And the eleven disciples went into Galilee unto the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And Jesus coming spoke to them, saying, All power is given me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, Teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all days, even unto the consummation of the world. Close quote. The inspired, inerrant word of God. So what have we just seen? We've just seen our Lord, who has received all power on heaven and earth. We've just seen our Lord using his power, his divine power, to commission the apostles, they literally have received their mission from God, from God himself. So the answer to the first question is, who commissioned the apostles? Is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ commissioned the apostles? The next question is, just what sort of mission were they given by our Lord? 
Listen again to that part of that phrase. Our Lord, quote, Go therefore, teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to deserve all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. Close quote, God the Son. So he gives him the mission, number one, to teach all nations all things that he, God the Son, had commanded them. Number two, to baptize all nations. Number three, to do this for all time until the end of the world. All nations, all teachings, all time. The great Catholic author Frank Sheed has some comments on this passage. Quote, there has been plenty of disputation about the word Catholic. But this one phrase of our Lord's should have prevented most of it. Catholic is a Greek word which means universal. Examining the word universal, we see that it contains two ideas. The idea of all, the idea of one. Universal is some kind of unity that embraces all. Some kind of way of having all in one. It's worth repeating. Universal is some sort of unity embracing all, some way of having all in one. But all what? All nations, all teachings, all times. So our Lord says, it is not an exaggerated description of the Catholic Church. Not by the wildest exaggeration could be advanced as a description of any other church. Close quote, Frank Sheet. Catholic is a Greek word which means universal. Examining the word universal, we see it contains two ideas, the idea of all and the idea of one. Universal is some kind of unity, embracing all, some kind of way of having all in one. But all what? All nations, all teachings, all time. All in one, Catholic. Okay, so our Lord has given the apostles the mission to go out and found the Catholic Church which will last until the end of time, which has the purpose of teaching all nations all things he's commanded, which has the purpose of baptizing all nations. Why should we care? Why should we care? Because of our actual situation as men. The scriptures are clear. Thanks to Adam, by nature we are born children of wrath. We've been sold into bondage to the devil. That's why at a baptism, what's the first thing we do? Exorcisms. Before the child is baptized, the very first thing we do are exorcisms. Before the adult is baptized, the very first thing we do are exorcisms to break the power that the devil has on this person before Christ comes into their life. We have to burn this into our minds and never, ever forget it. By nature, we're born children of wrath. By nature, we're all members of a fallen race. And that's a terrifying reality. Because if it means we're just relying on our natural powers, when we die, our souls will fall into hell. doesn't matter how we feel about it. That's just reality. And naturally speaking, there isn't a thing we can do about it. Not a thing. See, that's the situation we're in. There's not a single intellectual, technological, or physical way that individually or collectively, even everybody in the world, can get us even one step on the way to heaven. We can't get that far. We can't get that far. All of us working together, pouring all our resources, anything we want, we can't get one millimeter closer to heaven. It's completely 
utterly and totally beyond our natural abilities. We can't dream up some kind of meditation technique to reach heaven. We can't build a cannon to shoot us there, a rocket to take us there. It's totally and completely beyond our natural abilities. No amount of money, research, wishful thinking, or work can get us this ability. It's totally above and beyond the reach of our nature. In order for our soul to go to heaven when we die, it has to receive powers above its nature. Supernatural power. The supernatural power only comes from God as His free gift. And we can only get it in this life. What are we saying? We're saying if we die with this power, this supernatural power, our soul can get to heaven. And once it gets there, our soul can live in heaven. If we die without this power, our soul can't get to heaven. And even if it could get there, we couldn't live in heaven beyond our nature. If we die with the supernatural power, our soul can get to heaven. If we die without this power, our soul can't possibly get to heaven because it doesn't have the power to get to heaven, which means it will plunge into hell. If we die with this power, we can go to heaven. If we die without this power, we can't get to heaven. Frank Sheed comments that the supernatural life is given to man in this life. What man does with it is the primary story of his life. Hold that thought. That's why the death of somebody like Ted Kennedy is such a tragedy. Because he's baptized. And then what did he do with that dignity? We have to pray for his soul because we can't be the judge, but exteriorly we can certainly judge his actions. It's a complete tragedy. The only success in this life is someone who has a good death. St. Joseph Benedict Lebray. He's a street person, wandering around, covered with lice. Great saint. Great success. How many kings are burning in hell? And here's a guy that was covered with lice, walking around begging. That's a great saint. The only success in life is a person who has a good death. The only failure in life is a person who has a bad death. Supernatural life is given to man in this life, and what man does with it is the primary story of his life. Everything else is incidental, on the fringe of no permanent importance. When we come to die, we are judged by the answer to that one question, whether we have the supernatural life in our soul. If the answer is yes, then to heaven we shall surely go, for the supernatural life is the power to live in heaven. If the answer is no, then we cannot possibly go to heaven, for we could not live there when we got there. The name of the supernatural power, as we all know, is sanctifying grace. If we die without sanctifying grace, if we're not in the state of grace when we die, we can't go to heaven and we can't go to purgatory. If we die without sanctifying grace, we have to go to hell. We must never, ever lose sight of this fact. Every time we pray the Hail Mary, we ought to be thinking about this when we say, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death because the hour of our death is so essential. The most important thing that any one of us here is ever going to do is die. Everything about our religion is preparing you for a death. Why do we wear black? We're reminding you that we're going to die. 
priests are walking around in black to remind you there's death and judgment coming. That's why I wear black all the time. So you'll think, wow, that has something to do with death and judgment. It's to remind us, death and judgment. Have you ever wondered why the gospel is called the good news? That's what the word means, gospel, good news. Now we know. We only start to appreciate the good news when we realize what the bad news is. The bad news is that by nature we're children of wrath. The bad news is, naturally speaking, if we don't have some help from God and the right kind of help, when we die, we're toast for eternity. That's the bad news. Is Naturally speaking, we're all going to hell. The good news is, is he's come to do something about it. That's why it's called the gospel. Okay, we need supernatural help. We need supernatural power to get out of this mess and into heaven. And the precise means chosen by God himself to bring the supernatural power to us poor children of Eve, to us children of wrath... The precise means God chose to continue Christ's mission of bringing the saving part of mankind is the Catholic Church. It's a church founded on Peter, the Catholic Church. That's why the mission of the apostles matters. That's why. It's ongoing. It's going on right here now. It'll continue to the crack of doom. Frank Sheed, quote, Observe that the mission our Lord gave the apostles was to last till the end of the world. So that he was speaking to them, not as themselves only, but as officials in his kingdom who should have successors until the end of time. Now look more closely at what he gave them to do. They were to teach, that is, they were to communicate truth. And they were to baptize, that is, they were to communicate life. He who is the way and the truth and life sends these men out to bring to the world his gifts of truth and life. And to bring men to the way too, for in finding them... We find him. Where they are, he is. I'm with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. This continuous presence of Christ with his apostles gives us a double guarantee. First, the certainty that the truth and life we receive from them, we are actually receiving from him. And second, so well, so that we're receiving from him, so their true truth and true life. And second, and even more vital, the certainty that in contact with them, we're in contact with him. Close quote, Frank Sheed. Okay, now let's ask, what sort of authority were the apostles given? In order for them to carry out our Lord's mission of leading mankind to salvation, our Lord gave the apostles three specific types of authority. These three types of authority given to the apostles by our Lord correspond to our Lord's own threefold office. Our Lord has a threefold office as prophet, priest, and king. In terms of a prophetic office, our Lord gave the apostles doctrinal authority. He gave the apostles the power to teach in his name. In terms of a priestly office, our Lord gave the apostles ministerial authority. He gave them the power to sanctify in his name by means of the sacrament of holy orders. And in terms of a kingly office, our Lord gave the apostles ruling authority. He gave them the power of jurisdiction, which is the power to rule the church in his name. So our Lord, who is prophet, priest, and king, gave the apostles specific powers to teach, powers to sanctify, powers to rule. Eventually, we'll take a closer look at each one of these apostolic powers. But for today, there's one last aspect of the mission of the apostles to consider, and that's the difference between their extraordinary aspects of their mission 
and the permanent or ordinary aspects of their mission. Okay, great, Padre. So what's that supposed to mean, the difference between extraordinary and permanent aspects of their mission? The apostles were given a twofold mission. On the one hand, they had to found the church. That's the extraordinary aspect of their mission. And on the other hand, they had to conserve and govern that church once it was founded and see that it lasted till the end of the world, and that's the permanent aspect of their mission. So the extraordinary is founding the church. The permanent is governing and ruling it and making sure it lasts to the end of the world. In terms of the extraordinary mission of founding the church, our Lord entrusts a whole body of revealed knowledge to the apostles. This body of knowledge contains all that we have to believe and all that we have to do to be saved. That's what that body of knowledge is. It's called the deposit of faith. And our Lord sent the apostles out to preach this to the whole world. There was perfect equality between all the apostles, each and every one of them, in regards to the formation of and possession of the deposit of faith. Perfect equality. Now remember the deposit of faith is that body of knowledge, revealed knowledge, given by our Lord, containing everything we have to believe and everything we have to do to be saved. Each apostle was equally infallible. They all had the gift of infallibility. Each apostle had equal authority to establish local churches throughout the world. A diocese is a local church. And because each apostle was infallible, as soon as he founded a local church, wherever it might be, be it in India or Greece or, or, or Spain or Africa, as soon as any apostle founded a church, he placed it under the supreme rule of St. Peter. Now we've got an overview of the apostles' extraordinary mission, so let's consider quickly their permanent mission. The permanent, ordinary mission of the apostles was to conserve and rule the local churches once they had been established. And in this matter, the apostles were not all equal. In this regard, the apostles were all subject to St. Peter. On the one hand, St. Peter, as the foundation stone of the church, had supreme, independent authority over the entire church everywhere in the world. On the other hand, the ordinary authority of the apostles in conserving and ruling the local churches was dependent on that of St. Peter, and their authority only extended over the particular local churches which they themselves had founded. So St. Peter has his universal authority, and the apostles have authority over the particular churches they founded that's dependent on St. Peter's authority. So in terms of the extraordinary aspects of the mission, apostles are all equal. In terms of the permanent or ordinary aspects of their mission, the apostles were not all equal. They were all subject to and dependent upon St. Peter. Okay, before we close, let's really quickly review. We've seen an apostle as a man commissioned by our Lord himself. We can read about this in the very end of St. Matthew's Gospel. We've seen that our Lord himself gave the apostles the mission to go out to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost teaching them everything he commanded for all time, that he gave them the mission to establish the Catholic Church for the specific purpose of bringing mankind to salvation, for the purpose of extending to fallen man this priceless gift of supernatural life, this priceless gift of sanctifying grace. We've seen that our Lord, who is prophet, priest, and king, gave apostles the power to teach, the power to sanctify, and the power to rule in his name. We've seen that he gave the apostles a twofold mission. On the one hand, to found the church, which is the extraordinary aspect of the mission. On the other hand, to conserve and govern the church once it was founded and see that it lasted to the end of the world. That's the permanent aspect of their mission. Let's close. 
There are a lot more details than what we've seen today, but today we're simply trying to get a better idea of the role of the apostles in general. The purpose of the past two sermons was to give us a big picture, so each one of us has a big picture in our minds, to give us each a framework to understand the church and her visible structure at the moment of foundation. As we go on, we can fill in the important details, and there are important details. Today and every day, let us pray to keep the faith that has been handed down to us by the apostles, to keep this faith without which it is impossible to please God, to keep the faith without which it is impossible to be saved.